I want to stay in the, in the vibe that's in the room. We're singing love songs. We're going to go through love song number 63 in the book of Psalms. It goes like this. Oh God, you are my God, and I earnestly search for you. My soul, my soul thirsts for you, and my whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. And I've seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and your glory. And your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night because you are my helper and I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. That's a beautiful song. It's a romantic love song full of longing and desire. They say that like people like God, or they more accurately say, like God, like people. Which is a funny expression. It just means people become like the gods they worship. Civilizations become like the gods they worship. Culture become like that which they hold as most high, most valuable, most important. In the pagan days, the gods were fear. They were based in fear. They were based in misunderstanding. They were sources of bondage. People made images and empowered the images to be talismans to keep away evil and to placate from fear. But the Hebrew God spoke through the prophets and said, make no image you can make no image of the one who has created all things. Make no image. If you need an image, look into one another's eyes. Look at one another. You bear my image. If you want to love me, love one another. That is how you will love the God who cannot be seen. And every form of love God has taken on and clothed himself with it and said, it comes from me. The love of loyalty, loyalty to tribe and friends, loyalty within a family, the love of brothers and sisters and siblings, romantic love, the love of lovers, and even the philosophical love, the great loves of truth, the love of goodness, the aesthetic love of instantly finding attractive that which is beautiful. That is a gift of God. God gives us all these good things. There's only ever been one other, one other character in the play that complicates it. The problem of evil. And there's only one great sin that evil leads us into. And that is to blame God for evil. That's the one big lie starting right there in the Garden of Eden. That it's God's fault that bad things happen. That's the one lie of all lies. For God is not the source of evil, but only the source of all that is good. And he has made us
to be creatures that shun evil and that long for the good and hunger and thirst for the good. As long as we have a God who is every form of love, it will shape the kind of people we will be, it will shape our goals, it will shape our community, our culture. This love song begins, To God, God, he's addressing God, You are my God. What an odd sentence. Love of my life, you are my love. Oh, it doesn't sound so stupid when you put it like that. <laughs> and therefore, I search for you. I thought you found God. I thought he was your God. I thought you have him now. No one has the God who cannot be contained even within the universe. No one has God that way. To say, God, you're my God is to say, you are the one I will hunger and thirst for and long for and head toward all the days of my life. You are the goal of my life. You're the purpose of my life. You give meaning to my life. And so I feel that with, as constant need. I need to be filled with all these things I love and long for. And so God, you're my God. You're my God, my number one, and that's why I search for you earnestly. And it feels like this. My soul thirsts for you as though I'm in a desert fasting for 40 days and have drunk nothing. My body longs for you. Hunger in a parched and a weary land in which there is no water, the way the world seems, or the systemic evils of human culture. There is only one great systemic evil. Lack of love. That's where injustice comes from. Simple lack of love. It makes the land feel like it is empty and parched and has no water in it. Now I tell you a secret. Why did this song get put into the Lent series by the International Lectionary Committee of Christian Bible People? <laughs> They're a secret K-Bell. They meet in Davos, Switzerland once a year and they have a secret handshake. And they determine the scriptures we shall use. Now they took Psalm 63 because you could put this love song into the mouth of Jesus himself when he is in the desert for 40 days in his own fast, when he is tested and tempted by evil, that he himself should be sustained by a love song where he says, you are my water and you are my food in a parched and a weary land. Now why and how has this one been so smitten with his beloved? Because he has seen the glory and the beauty, he has gazed upon the beloved in the sanctuary. I've seen you. One glimpse is all you need. You're tormented for the rest of your life because you need another glimpse of the beloved. Because I've seen you in your sanctuary and I've gazed upon the power and the glory. The power and the glory of God is not human glory. It is not human power. Human power is sometimes talked about as productive economic power. That's when we're being positive. When we're usually talking, we're talking about the power to destroy. You're powerful when you have guns and tanks and planes. Ooh, you're strong. You can break stuff. 
than the glory of battle, the glory of a killing well done. This is not how we are to think. This is not the way the Hebrew is thinking. The songwriter has said, I've seen your power and your glory in the sanctuary, not in the battlefield. That means I've seen the glory of your goodness, your holiness, your loving kindness, your grace. I have seen that your unfailing love is better than my life. And that is why I praise you. The ultimate glory of God is unfailing, unconditional, infinite love. And of course it's better than life. Your life comes from that love. Your life was made for a purpose to seek that love and to enjoy that love. That is why the human condition is such a dissatisfaction in the world. You are so magnificently created. You've been created so that even if you were to be given the whole world, you would be unsatisfied. You would be bored. If we figure out everything about the whole universe, if we travel to the other end of it, now that we've got gravity waves and can warp time and get there fast, we can be tourists to the edge of the universe and go, wow, I'm going to plant a flag in Einstein land. The edge of the universe, been there, I'm sending you a postcard. We now know it all, been there, done it all, seen what's on every planet, understood every star. If we ever get there, we will experience the deepest boredom. Then what? So what? You've been made in such a way that the only thing that will fully satisfy you, satisfy me, is unfailing, unconditional, infinite, divine love forever and ever and ever. That is life. That is our life. That is why we can risk this stuff and even have it nailed onto a cross. And this stuff can die. Life goes on. Those who live in love are thine, said St. Beethoven. Did he not? He probably cribbed it from someone else. There was no copyright then. He was not a sinner. I praise you as long as I live. I praise you as long as I live. I've just said your love is better than my life. As long as I live, I will praise you, lifting up hands to you in prayer. Because I've seen the beauty and the power and the glory of your love, your unfailing love. Then quickly, listen to these quick verses. I praise you, or you satisfy me more than the richest feast. There's that reference again to food, to hunger, to the body. But more... It's aesthetic. It's not a big watch of haggis. Who can praise God for that? Sorry about that. Sorry about that, Hunter. No, it's a feast. It's a rich feast. Those are little tidbits. Those are hoity-toity little things with toothpicks in them. A rich one. A big, a big feast. You satisfy me more than all that stuff. And so I praise you with songs of joy. So there's the reference again to the body and to the satisfaction of taste. But then the lover, lying awake at night, tossing and turning because he's thinking of his beloved. We're presuming it's David writing. I'll lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. There's a, a reference to romantic love. And then friendship. 
You're my helper. You're my helper and I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. And then finally, salvation. You're my rescuer. I cling to you, your strong right hand. That is always a reference in Hebrew. The right hand is the hand of salvation, of protection. Your right hand delivers me. Your right hand makes me feel safe. Safe. Safe from what? First of all, from your left hand. I don't want to judge how you raise kids, but I don't know if hitting them is the right thing to do. There was at least an old saying that said, if you're going to strike a child, don't use your hand. Use a piece of wood, a stick from the kitchen, a, a small stick, a little stair stick for your coffee, about this long, a tongue depressor. Strike the child with that, maybe a toothpick, some little break. But the point was, not the hand. The hand is for healing, for touching in love, for restoration. The first thing we are safe from is from a God who would turn on us, who would let us down. What were we singing? We were singing, your love never fails. Your love never gives up. Your love never runs out on me. I always heard that two ways. It goes on forever. It doesn't run out like an infinite gas tank. But I was thinking, no, of a relationship that breaks down and doors get slammed and people are estranged and they don't come home. And you ran out on me. And I trusted you. And you meet lovers who are torn to shreds. And with their guts hanging out. Because I did commit. And you walked out on me. There's the romantic image of what God will never, ever, ever do. Your love never runs out on me. I am safe because of your unfailing faithfulness. We know that because He let us test Him. He let us reject Him and crown Him with thorns and flog Him and crucify Him. All the way along there, when was he going to snap? When was he going to say, that's it, no more grace. I've gone as far as I need to go. I'm not giving up my life for you, wretches. Instead, it is though you slap me on one cheek, I will turn the other. Even if you kill me, I will never stop loving you. Why? So that we can trust him. Nothing we can do can make the eternal and infinite love ever cease. And that is why only in that love can we find satisfaction for what we really need. We need life. We need it abundantly, eternally. But if that life was eternal and did not have love, it would not be worth living. And so we need love first. And from love, let us have our life. So that's the love song that David wrote by the inspiration of God. The pattern is this. I search like hunger because of your beauty. I'm left with praise and prayer forever 
because you are my food, my lover, my friend, my savior. I cling to you. Now, the application of this is that we all need to have God as our God, and we need to desire a glimpse of His infinite beauty and love and goodness that we might be restless for the rest of our lives and hunger and thirst and long for more so that we spontaneously seek and follow after God's love because He is so desirable. That is why we pray and meditate upon the scriptures and sing songs of praise and paint beautiful works of art and write magnificent poems. We do all these things that we might inspire a glimpse, a moment. And people have these experiences. We have spiritual experiences, moments, flashes that seem to transcend our mundane everyday lives or human boundaries. Even if they're not full of content, there's a presence of, I've almost got it. I think it's the way we have been shaped. It's Pascal, I think, who said, yeah, we have a hole in us, and a hole is shaped like God, and that hole is never, ever filled until God fills it. And sometimes we get really close, never, never gets filled. Every experience of forgiveness, of joy, when I look at little kids, I'm a little kid buff. It wasn't always this way, I'm a big buff of little kids. I am continuously astounded by the fact that every human being is unique, every human being is an unfolding set of potentials that will never be complete in one lifespan. We're all going to die with unfinished business, unfinished songs, unfinished poems. That means we were, we were never meant for one lifespan. We have too much unfinished unfolding to do on this stage. And so we get intuitions and glimpses that we call eternity or eternal life or the love of God or God or heaven or whatever. And when we get a taste of that, that's what we're always searching for. Now, that sounds pretty spontaneous. Well, it hasn't happened to me. Or the last time it happened, I shouldn't take those types of chemicals into my system anymore. So that was... Ah. So the church was given this little project. The church was told this. And now you know what the whole world needs. It needs what you need. It needs the love of God. It needs the light of God. Where's that going to come from? My disciples. My people. My children. Where will the world see the light? Where will the world ever see even the baby steps of divine love? So here's the project. I give you my spirit. And I say, you take anybody, take those fishermen over there from Galilee of all places. You know, I won't say anything else. Galilee. What can you do with a fisherman? Does anything good come out of Galilee? Uh, you just watch. Yeah, I'll take a couple of tax gatherers too. Let's make this interesting. They've sold out their nation for Rome, money grubbers. 
we'll take them. Take anybody. Give them this project. You have been given the image of God. You have been given a need that can only be filled when in community you begin to care for one another with this one attribute of grace, which is translated as loving kindness or compassion. And then between you, it's between you like a filament or an arc that relationship happens. And between you and among you and within your community, begin to practice love. Start with your love, your friendship love, your lover love, your loyalty loves, your children loves. And become a community that makes love the number one thing you're all about. And you will be manifesting God's nature, for God is love. It doesn't matter how bright you crank it up. You won't be very bright to begin with. You'll all be quite dim, as a matter of fact. But it doesn't matter what the wattage is, people. As long as the light bulb's screwed into the base. I know, it's an ugly metaphor, I know. But I'm running out. I'm running out. And in my metaphor, it was a power-wasting incandescent light bulb, too. But they work really well with dimmers. I like those. But if you want, we can do carbon arc. Really bright. can barely look at it. It's so white, it's blue. All right. I can sense that the Spirit of God has left me. <laughs> so, I must cease. All right, uh, yes, I have three more words, and then the Spirit will, will make himself scarce. This desire, we need to know that this thing we long for and need from God is not something he's reluctant to give as though we are inconveniencing him or stealing from him. There are three things that came to mind that Jesus said. He said, first, I came that they might have life and have it in eternal abundance. I came not to condemn, which I said this morning, is Jesus condemning organized religion, folks. I can say that because we're 2,000 years into this game on the Christian side of things. So we can look back at our history and we can see some of the worst manipulation and oppression done in the name of God through organized religion using condemnation, guilt, shame, and fear. None of those things came from Jesus. Jesus never came to make someone feel ashamed or feel guilty or fearful. I came not to condemn, but to save that which is lost. Not save that which is worthy to be saved. Just save that which is lost, not to condemn. And to do so, I came to give my life as a ransom for many. That is because God's love never runs out on us. Let's pray. Well, I don't know what to say. So I'll say this. God, you are our God. And we earnestly search for you. Our souls, they do thirst for you. Our whole body, it longs for you. And the world we live in does feel so often like a parched and weary land. And we have sensed you in your sanctuary. We've sensed you in the beauty of nature and the beauty of love of children, of song, of good food, of so many good things. 
even in our hardship, testify of your beauty. But we have heard the message of the Holy Spirit, the word of God, that you are unfailing love. And that love is better than our lives, and we praise you. Lord, help us to praise you all our lives long. Help us to lift up holy hands in prayer to you. Satisfy us with a banquet table laid out before even our enemies. May we praise you with songs of joy. And may we toss and turn at night in a longing of happiness. May we trust you as a good friend and confide in you and feel safe clinging to you that your hand always protects always provides, always covers. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.